Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Chris Bjorkman, and you're listening to The Eurotrip. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. With me, James, and joining me, as always, is Mr. Rob Lilly. And it's not a Wednesday, which must mean we have something pretty special to share. Yeah, we do. You said that you're here, I'm here, and we heard there, at the very start of today's episode, who is joining us for this very special bonus episode of the Eurotrip. Haven't had a bonus episode for a while, but... We may as well make it a good one. And it definitely is. Krista Bjorkman is back on the podcast. The Bjorkman bonus, as you've been billing it to me, to me over the last couple of days. Can you believe it? He's back. We spoke to him a little over a year ago in the aftermath of his final edition of Melody Festival. And after working on that show for 20 years, and what a conversation you had with him there. But it's safe to say we've got an equally impressive conversation with him today. Absolutely. There is so much, of course, that we get the opportunity here to ask Krista about, or you do rather, because you were the one that was lucky enough to sit down with him this time. We chat American Song Contest, of course, because that's what he's been busy doing. I think he was in LA, wasn't he, when you were chatting to him the other day. He talks a bit about Melfest as well, of course, his first year not involved in that production for almost two decades. And obviously, you get a bit of Eurovision out of him as well. Yeah, so this is the place to be if you want to hear everything from Krista Bjorkman. We know so many of you have been following the American Song Contest since it started. I spoke to him this week, just a couple of days after the second of the qualifier shows, and we find out pretty much everything. So if you want to know why the American Song Contest isn't just a copy and paste of the Eurovision Song Contest itself, he'll tell you why. He goes into all the details about how much work has been put in to this point to get it on TV and I even ask him for his thoughts about the viewing figures because we know that has been one of the biggest stories since the American Song Contest hit our TV screens. 
Now, obviously, we want your thoughts on what you're about to hear. So do get in touch with us. We really want to find out what you think about everything that Krista has to say. At Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Send us an email as well. Hello at EuroTripPodcast.com. And we're also online for loads of exclusive stories that you're going to get from this very chat, EuroTripPodcast.com. So let's get into it, shall we? This is my conversation with the one and only Krista Bjorkman. Krista Bjorkman, first of all, welcome back to the Eurotrip. You spoke to us a little over a year ago, just once Melfest had come to an end and when you were preparing for your last ever Eurovision Song Contest for Sweden. Mm -hmm. And since then, the American Song Contest has finally taken off. How does it feel to have finally gotten to the stage where it's finally on TV? I mean, there are so many emotions connected to it. I mean, obviously, it's extremely exciting. It's nerve-wracking, but it's still also creative because, you know, it is it is in a way, I mean, it's based on an old format, but it is a new format at the same time. And we've made so many adjustments to this market. So it, in a way, it's a, a totally new program. And that means that you need to, you know, constantly be on it and, and make tweaks, add things, take things away. So it's not like, it's not, like the Eurovision in that sense, or Melody Festival, and where you actually have a known pattern that you follow and you you sort of, you know exactly where you're going. This is like, you sort of invent as you go, in a way. Uh, so it's still very, very challenging and very thrilling. And so you, you have to be on your toes, like every show and after every show as well, you know, so you, you're there and you, you, you know, you, yeah. And this hasn't been an overnight thing, has it? Because I remember, and maybe many of our listeners will remember, there was a press conference in Tel Aviv 2019, I think. So that gives mm-hmm. us an idea about just how long a process this has been for you and the rest of the team. This hasn't been a, a quick job, has it? Not really. It's, we've, I mean, we. St- it all depends on who you ask, though. Because if you talk to someone who is, you know, used to developing new formats, they say that, you know, from start to beginning, four years, it's not that long. I know one show here called Songland, which our showrunner actually was part of creating, that took 10 years from the first pitch to they actually saw it on, on the air. So it all depends. They, I would say that probably is four to five years, a kind of normal timing. But to us who know the original format, you, you would think that it could be done in one season, you know, like, well, just copy it and do it, you know. But it's it's not that easy. It's a completely different market here. Give us an idea about that thing you just said there, about how this is an entirely new market, because I think maybe a lot of people listening might think, well, why isn't it just as easy to pretty much copy and paste the Eurovision Song Contest and slap it bang in the middle of the United States? It surely isn't that easy, is it? How much adaption work had to be done to make sure you knew it was going to be right for the American market? Yeah, there, to, to bring out one very, very simple example to understand, it is, can you create a new show where you actually expose 56 people saying 12 points? It's not possible. So, and it wouldn't even be possible in Europe. We, we live with it because or we stand it because we are used to it. 
But it is like everybody knows, oh, my God, here comes that hour of our life that I will never get back again. When I'm going to hear 43 people from different parts of Europe saying, oh, what a wonderful show. I love your dress. And, and we all think, oh, get to it. For God's sakes, give us your 12 points. You know, but we accept it because it's there. It's always been there. But you cannot do that in a completely new show. So that's one example. You just have to attack that from another angle. How do you sort it out? How do you do it? Because you need to have the 12 points, right? And was that easy when you headed over to the US? You know, were the producers you were working with now, the American producers, were they looking at Eurovision and saying, Krista, we can't have that, we can't have that, just because it won't work. But you were then bringing stuff, of course, to say, we must include this because this is one of the key components. Yeah, you're pretty much to the point. It, this is uh, what we've been going through. And we ourselves has also asked those questions. We've looked at every sort of cornerstone and said, is this necessary? Could we change that? Could we take it out? And, and that comes from a very old format where you, you can actually look at a program like that and say, what is just leftovers from a you know forgotten time? What is needed? What is actually driving this show? What is what are the components that actually matter today? Where you know the, the tempo, the pace, the, the attention span is so different today than when this show was created. So we've had we had hundreds of discussions of that kind. And we came up with this. So, and then we realized that, okay, we have to tweak and tweak and tweak and continue to, you know, to to just make it better. I think for me, at least, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the big USPs, one of the biggest selling points of the American Song Contest is this idea that you're selling it as the best original song. You know, is that a conscious decision? Because otherwise, would it have just become another one of these American Idols or another singing competition where it's not original music? Yeah, it, it, it's very important to emphasize the importance of the music, but also that it's sort of a sporting event. You know, you, you, it's the best of the best when it comes to music and you, you need to feed the rivalry, that's a difficult word, <laughs> ri rivalry. Uh, between states, since we don't have nations here, it's it's all one state. But there is, from the sports world, we know, you know, lots of that between teams and colleges, and and so we we can lean on that. But yeah, absolutely. And does the audience get that? Do they understand the state rivalry? Because when you look at the US. For me, at least, there doesn't seem to be a lot of state rivalry or opportunities for people to fly the flag for their own state. You know, you might look at the Super Bowl, but those are cities. You know, these are teams within cities. Whereas for the American Song Contest, it does seem like it's one of the few occasions where people can really shout about and fly the flag for their own state. Yeah, uh, this and Miss America, I would say, you know, that's that's the only other competition I can think of that actually sort of flaunts the state, you know, on the banner across the chest, you know, Miss California. <laughs> uh, but apart from that, you're correct. But but again, if you add the pride that each and every one of these artists have for their home state, which is very real, real and very profound, uh, I would say that there are enough of components to actually trigger that uh, that home state 
pride and feeling. They've been amazing, the artists so far. I, I really, really, uh, I'm so impressed with the depth of their sincereness in, in their pride. I love that. And also that they, there's such an amazing amount of talent in this country. I mean, really, it's like, it's astonishing. Let's chat about the artists then, because I think that is naturally one of the, the big things that, that fans are interested in. I think from what I've seen for the first two shows, what I really enjoy is the fact the artists do seem to understand what this is all about. You know, they're, they're on board with the vibe. They get the idea that they're representing their home state, for example. When you opened up the song submission period last year, was there any part of you that was worried at all you know about how much interest there would actually be from artists we've seen some new artists we look at some some of the names in there who are relatively unknown but some there's some big guns in there as well isn't there yeah the interesting thing is that since it's such a vast country all of these talents have careers i mean they are known to their own state sometimes to the state surrounding their own state as well, but they they haven't made it on a national level, and and that's quite normal here. You know, you can you can go on and have a decent career for your entire life, but it's only known in your home state. That's so weird in a way because that would be like you know like a, a normal Swedish star, but to us it's you know. That's what it is, you know, it's Sweden, it's small. So you're famous in Sweden, you're not famous. Sometimes maybe in Norway, a little bit in Denmark, but that's about it. And that's exactly the same thing here, but it's still the same country and the same language. So it's, it's, it is a weird, weird to, to, to take that in, but once you accept that and, and just look at it that way, it's, it, you know, it makes sense. How could all of them become national stars? It makes sense. But anyway, when, once you accepted that, you also realized that you have to look upon it again as a Eurovision. So this comes, okay, so this is a small state. So this would be comparable to Sweden in Europe. And, and, and you just have to look at it that way. So if, for example, if you had a small state and you felt that the competition in that state was slightly you know, easier than maybe in California, you would just have to go to that and say, yeah, well, you know, there are San Marinos here as well. So, so it's, uh, it's, it's, that's the way it's going to be. And New York is, a, is also like a huge music state, but then Maine is going to be more, you know, we have to dig deeper. How successful were you in the in the song submission period itself? You know, I remember, I think for Melfest this year, and you'll you'll know the numbers much better than me. But you typically get two to three thousand songs. What kind of numbers were we looking at for for the American Song Contest? Well, we had over seven thousand submissions, and then you have to know the difference between this because the Swedish one is songs only, you know, and then. Some of them are connected to an artist, but some, most of them are not. And that's the job that we do after we chose a song. Here, it was a package. An artist had to submit with an original song. That's, that's a totally different story. We had 7,000 packages. You know, that's a lot. That's like, wow. <laughs> so uh, the interest was 
instant, I would say, but they also had a very good uh, starting point because the team that reached out was the same team that The Voice had used for the last 20 seasons. So they had something like, I don't know, but maybe a, a roster of 10,000 names that they could reach out to. So they were very successful. It's amazing considering that nobody knew what this is what, you know, what this is. So I think, I think it was a fantastic uh, result. That is, honestly, that number is much bigger than, than I thought you were going to say, given what you said it was about. You know, it had to be a package rather than just an artist or a song actually signing up. How did it How did it work after that then? Because, you know, at the Eurovision Song Contest, we see broadcasters attached to countries. That's not no. kind of how it works in the American Song Contest, is it? So how did... No, not yet, no. How did it get... How did the songs get sort of divvied out? You know, was it you and your team going... Right, we've got one for New York there, we've got one for California. You know, how did it work? Well, what they had to do when they submitted was they needed an artist, they needed to have an original song, and they also had to state which states they were connected to. Because most Americans are sort of connected to somewhere between two and four states, depending on where they went to college, where they were born, where they worked and, and settled down. And it could even be that their grandparents had a house up in the mountains somewhere where they spent all their summers since they were kids, which connected them. So the, their stories are totally different. And, and we said that the connection has to be valid. It has to be trustworthy. So, and they, then they had to state that. I shouldn't get lost in that. But so most of them had between two and four states that they could actually say, I'm connected to then. So we made a roster of all these artists, you know, like where they could be and so on. And this casting team made a short list of five to 10 entries per state. All those were then submitted to another group of people, which is called the Academy, which is a music industry professionals like radio, radio programmers, A&Rs, publishers, you know, so and they all gave a review of all these and they gave that back to the production and to NBC and a large group of people within the production and NBC then made the final selection so that it was a long long process and very very thorough so in comparison to your days at Melfest for the past 20 years give us an idea about how much more involved you were with the song submissions or were you a little bit more removed and that wasn't necessarily your area for the American Song Contest? Oh, I was I was there, but I was there as a mentor. I was, you know, I did not make the selection at all. I was there to make sure that they remembered that, okay, this is the full map. Look at it. Look at the genres. Look at, you know, diversity. Look at all the... So whenever there was like, you know how it becomes when you go down to like two songs, like, is it that one? Is it that one? And I was the one who was the grown up in the room saying, okay, before you take a decision, look at the full board, you know, remember the objectives. So, uh, no, I had a completely different role here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the grown up in the room. I'm the mentor. I'm the <laughs> one who has done this before and they are here to do it now, not me. 
So totally different. I mean, in, in Sweden, I was I was that bored. Talking <laughs> about making decisions then, away from artists, but to the, the presenters, the hosts we've got, Snoop Dogg and Kelly Clarkson, of course. We found that out, I think it was during the, the Super Bowl, wasn't it? It was an advert during the Super Bowl where it yeah. became public. I think for a lot of people, that was like, the big moment where we all realized, God, wow, this is, this is real. This is big. This is happening. Was that the same yeah. for you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, we were sitting in a pub watching the Super Bowl, and I, I can't remember anything of the game because we were all so focused on waiting for that announcement and, and, you know, with cameras up, Oh, it's happening. It's really happening. And it was sort of the first public, recognition of that it was actually going to happen so to us it it was like not that we doubted it but it's still like so unreal that it's actually happening that it it, you can't back down now can you you know it's like okay there it is it's it's they said it it's done it will happen it's real now it's real you can't go back (laughs) no and it was that that was a great moment and also when we passed we were on, on Sunset Boulevard and all of a sudden we see uh, this full building, you know, plastered with, with the billboard of, of Kelly and Snoop. And that's also like, okay, it's happening. You know, there's no going back. A, nice huge, a huge moment, a big sort yeah. of tick in the box to say, right, here we go. It's yeah. starting. And then, of course, it did start. We're chatting now a couple of days after the first of the uh, the second of the qualifying shows we've got two in the bag so far what was the feeling like when well actually give us an idea about where you were were you in the gallery where were you when the first show was going to air and what were those what were those feelings like as the as the title started to roll for the first show extremely nervous the way it is before a broadcast a live broadcast and and it's the first time you put all the pieces together really you 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 have it one dress rehearsal and obviously that's when all the graphics and everything is coming together and and a dress rehearsal is never perfect especially not on the first show uh so yeah you're you're really really tense very nervous is it going to work is it gonna you know but it's more technical it's like you know you can't do any more about you've rehearsed all the acts you know the songs are there you know that you know the camera work is done the lighting is nice. It just has to happen, you know, and you don't want any technical mishaps or anything. So, so it's, it's tension more than anything. And, and then once it's over, it's, it's such a relief, you know, it's, it's like, wow, it, it happened. We did it. There were no big mistakes. And then you, you just feel relieved really. How much of that first show can you actually remember? Or is it just a blur? It is a blur. It really is. And and the, to say the least, afterwards, it got even more like a blur because we celebrated a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so it was that that whole evening was a big blur. But then uh, the day after, you just sort of, okay, now let's look at it objectively. Let's see what worked, what can be done better, uh what what you know how was the drama you know and then we we made some tweaks and and we added stuff that was implemented in the second one 
And now we're doing the same thing again. We, we are evaluating uh, some of those things we implemented was great. I like the reveal part in the beginning uh, that worked well. We're also looking at tweaking a little bit more how to how to implement results along the way so that you, you know you can, it's a long show you know it's and it's it's a lot of new music that you have to digest we'll just continue to to sharpen the edges i'd love to get your thoughts on the viewing figures but only because i think a lot of people have been quite negative about them but i think one thing i'd love to to throw at you is that when you started to do melfest back in 2002 you know you said or you've said since that when you took over, it would take a long time for that to grow. It wouldn't be an overnight thing. So would it be, would it be fair to say that you're not disappointed with the viewing figures because you know this this is could be a long journey? Yeah, I, I am completely there. It's this is uh, you need to build this. You need you need to build awareness about this. And you also have to understand the, that you need other wheels than just the show to actually build the phenomena. And those wheels are other TV shows, radio, streaming. You know, these stories will now need to grow outside. We need those first four who made it through to the semifinal. We need Alexa to happen in her world. We need Bolton to happen in his world. You know what I mean? We need those stories to start being talked about in other entities than in within the show to make this be interesting along the way and by the semifinals that has created a buzz outside so we're we're depending on other platforms as well so i'm not surprised about this because it is it is difficult to really grasp it and understand it from the beginning it's going to take a while and as i said i've said it so many times Season three in Sweden is when it was like a catch-up bottle. You know, you, you, you keep going like this and this, and all of a sudden, blah, it happens, you know. And it, it's probably going to take that here as well. I'd, I'm not sure. I don't know if consistency exists uh, here. I don't know that. But it, it probably will take two or three seasons before it really gets big. Where are we at, do you think, with a potential appearance from the eventual winner at Eurovision itself this year? Because I remember one of your colleagues last year said they would like it to happen. I know the EBU have sort of planted the seed to suggest it might happen. Do you reckon it could happen this year? I know the final is the same week as Eurovision itself, so yeah. potentially not. But is that something you'd like to see? Yeah, I would like to see that eventually. Uh, this year is going to be complicated because we moved our show four weeks due to COVID. So that complicated it. As you said, it is now in the same week. And so I think that is not even doable because obviously in, in Europe, we wouldn't keep a spot open, you know, like that. But in the future, if there is a future, yes, that would be great. And I, I mean, I would... Would have loved to have Moniskin in our show, for example. But being it the same week, that's also going to be impossible. They will be totally blocked in Italy, obviously. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but for, for, for a future final, that would be great. Both ways, I would say. 
this is almost a, a perfect segue to have a bit of a chat about Eurovision. The shows we're looking at uh, at the American Song Contest right now, is this sort of what a dream Krista Bjorkman Eurovision would end up looking like? Because, you know, the song length is a little bit shorter. We're not limited to six people on stage. We've got a bit more backing track. Is this sort of, if you were totally in charge, if you were the Eurovision dictator, shall we say, would this yeah. be what your Eurovision would look like? Well, let's put it this way. I absolutely love to, to you know, make the most of every act. If it's a small act, make it really small. If it's a big one, make it really big and use the stage. Absolutely, I love that. But if I were the dictator of Eurovision, I would do the following. I would actually do what we have done here. I would tear the show apart all of it and say, okay, if this was made and created today, what would be the essence? What would be something we can leave behind? And where should we put our focus and make it more effective as a TV show of today? So parts of this would be there, definitely. Parts of what we do in Europe, I would probably keep anyway even though it is dated and and because it's tradition so mm, somewhere in between it wouldn't be all all of this but only because we can do differently because there is a tradition how does it feel not to be involved in the Eurovision song contest this year because it must be a long time when was the last time you weren't at a Eurovision song contest you know I will be there even if I will not have a function at all. I will be there. I will be going there on the day after our final. I will go in there because I did invent a prize called Marcel Besançon Award in 2002. And I will still do that. So I will have that specific little thing to do, uh, which has nothing to do with Eurovision itself, but and not with the Swedish team, but... So I will be there. So I will be the experience, have the experience on, on site. But it is, oh my God, it's a long time since I was only a spectator. 2002 in Tallinn was the first year I was responsible for the Swedish act. Yeah, a good 20 years then. Yeah. <laughs> since you weren't involved, you weren't there in an official capacity, which is quite yeah. extraordinary. Have you been able to follow much of Eurovision National Final season or any of the build-up? Have you kept an eye on Melody Festival in this year? Have you had the time? Yeah, I've seen. I yeah, I saw all the Swedish shows. Uh, I have not had time to look into too many of of the the competition when it comes to Eurovision. Uh, I've seen the Spanish one. Uh, I like that winner. Uh, I've seen obviously Sanremo. But those are the three I've seen. And I've always, obviously also, I've looked at uh, Ukraine's uh, song because it's in the charts, it's on top. So I have to check that one out. But I will, uh, I will start looking into it uh, now that we settle in. Uh, it's getting a little bit lighter when it comes to the every week work here. Uh, so hopefully if everything sort of runs smoothly from now on, I will be able to pick up on some Eurovision gossip. 
If there's somebody with Eurovision gossip, it'll certainly be you, Krista. I'm almost certain <laughs> of that. What do you think about Melody Festival in this year? Did Karen Gunnison, Annette Bradstrom and the rest of the team do a good job for the first time without you in a very long time? I mean, musically, I think they did a good job. I like the mix. I think it was a brilliant selection. And when we got to the final, it was, it had a great variety. It had three songs in Swedish, which is really good. And, and they were good as you know, it was not, they felt that they were there only because they were Swedish. They were actually very, very good. So no, I, I think they did a really good job. Um, they had some troubles along the way uh, in the beginning, especially with the voting and, and so on, but that's technical. That's like, yeah, shit happens, you know, that that would have happened even if I was there. So there, there's no, uh, no, no judgment at, on that at all. No, I think it was good. I love the winner. I really do. I think she's so good. Yeah, I was going to say, I think most people listening right now will agree. I think Sweden has a has a very good chance to win the Eurovision Song Contest again. If they do, would you be tempted to come back in, in an official capacity if it went back to your home of Sweden? Oh, it's, yeah, well, you know what? Uh, it's This this shit is a poison. Yes, you, you can never get rid of it. Once, once you have it in your body, it's there to stay. And you always have to fight it. It's like an addiction. Uh, so would I be tempted? Yes, of course I would be tempted. Uh, I love to produce Eurovision. I've, I've produced the contest five times and the full show twice. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, bring it on, of oh, course. Bring it yeah. on, indeed. And for all those amazing stories, I think so many people are going to be looking forward to my ESC story, your very own book, oh, char- yeah. charting everything that you've ever been involved with the Eurovision Song Contest. That, when's that coming out? That's going to be very exciting. Well, uh, at the moment, we are looking at where to find paper to print it. it <laughs> this, is, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. It, there's, a, there's a shortage of paper to, to print books. There's not. Krista, you're joking. No, no, no. Seriously, like there is a shortage of furniture in furniture stores, like in, you know, the, the, the production chains are like, you know, weird. So we were trying to make it happen till May, but that's probably not going to be doable. So now we're looking at after the summer, but it doesn't really matter to me. It's like, uh, you know, my opinion uh, will not end or change or whatever there will always be an opinion about everything. So we just sort of add the opinion of this year as well in to, to it. So no problem. But it is so funny because if there's one thing that we all know is an engine in this, it is our opinion, right? And we're all extremely sure that our opinion is the right one. And we we are very loud about it. Hardcore fans of the Eurovision, they are loud with their opinion. And one of the things you cannot be loud about as, as an official is your opinion. So it goes completely against your nature. So I've been quiet for 20 years plus because of my physician. And I just want to scream out that this is what I think. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'm going to do. 
and and you know and it's just for fun it really is for fun and it is for people to argue about and to be angry about or to embrace and say oh my god yes finally someone who recognized that song and you know all those feelings i, I just want it to be fun and to to actually uh, give everybody yet another reason to 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 you know, you know to fight or to to argue or to just embrace whatever whatever as long as you feel something I simply cannot wait for that book to come out and you to effectively start stirring the pot with all your opinions and making people argue and bicker with all sorts. I can see you laughing, Krista, but you can't wait either. But honestly, that is going to be one hell of a read. And we'll have to chat you again after the summer when the book is due for release and we can have another chat about what the book is all about because I think a lot of people would love to hear about it. Absolutely. Perfect. We'll pop that in the diary. Krista, thank you so much for joining us. We've had an absolutely amazing insight about pretty much everything we could have done. So thank you so much for joining us and best of luck with the rest of the American Song Contest. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is the Euro Trip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. What a treat that was. As bonus episodes go, James, very jealous. I know I've obviously already had the opportunity to sit down with Krista myself, but very jealous that you got the chance to talk to him this week. There is so much to go on there. I think everybody listening to that, I was when I heard that conversation for the first time, just kind of taken aback by how open and honest he has been about everything, really. Eurovision at the end there, but also loads of stuff about the American Song Contest that we didn't know before that conversation. Yeah, I think that's one of the things we love the most about Krista is that he's so open, isn't he, about everything you ask him. There were some questions there that, that I threw at him and I thought, he's not going to tell us that. But he did. You know, he gave us an insight into how many songs, 7,000 songs were submitted to the American Song Contest. I really didn't expect the number to be that high. We also found out there that he isn't hopeful that the winner of the American Song Contest will perform as an interval act uh, in Turin this year because we know that was mooted at some point, wasn't it? But then maybe the, the killer headline, shall we say, he may well be tempted back to produce Eurovision again. Yeah, if Cornelia wins in Turin, you know that we'll see Krista wandering around, what, the Friends Arena circa May 2023 or whenever Eurovision may be next year if Sweden are indeed to win the contest this year. And also, I enjoy that this won't be a Krista Bjorkman free Eurovision because of course he'll be there. <laughs> of course he will. So maybe we'll get the opportunity to bump into Krista in Turin. Although we probably won't because let's be honest, he'll be in far more high-end bars than we will, let's be honest. Yeah, maybe we won't bump into him <laughs> in Turin after all. But if we do, we endeavour to shove a microphone underneath his nose and get a couple of words from him at least. And then also, of course, the book comes out later this year when they find some more paper. What was that all about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realise that from this podcast we'd find out even more about the supply chain crisis in the paper industry. <laughs> oh, how silly was that? But that's going to be another date for your diary for when Krista's book finally comes out. So many opinions that he's kept secret for the last 20 years or so that will finally come out in that book. And did you hear? I planted the seed. And we might get him back on when he releases that book. Yeah, and and he said, didn't he? I noticed he kept it in almost as a verbal agreement so that we've got <laughs> it on there. He, he said, yeah, you know, I'll come back. So, so yeah, we'll get Krista back when the book's out, absolutely. But for now, 
we've had that chat with him and thank you to Krista for sitting down with us and thank you to everybody as well that helped organise that interview because there were a lot of people that were involved in uh, in bringing that interview to you so thank you to the people in Sweden thank you to the people in America thank you to everybody who uh, who helped us bring that chat to you today yeah so make sure you do get in touch with us with all your thoughts about that conversation we are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or you can send us an email as well hello at EurotripPodcast.com and you can head over to eurotrippodcast.com to read more in-depth about any of the exclusive stories that came from today's episode and all of the past episodes of the Eurotrip as well. Now, as a thank you for us bringing that to you, please do leave us a review, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever it is you're listening. Just give us a five star. Go on. We'd be so grateful. So until we're back with you next week for a brand new episode of the Eurotrip, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.